Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for the Anakin Florian podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply. Understand fully. Mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash anik, rocketmortgage.com slash A-N-I-K, equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? John Anik, Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. A lot of bills to pay, Ken Flo. Ben with Sorek's salary just holding us down. Quick and loans <laughs> off the top. What a weekend it was. It is Monday, March 19th, 2018. Thank you all for being here. Episode 148 of the Anakin Florian podcast. I know you're watching some NCAA wrestling kid over the weekend. Mm. Had a three-day course. I mean, can we even get into what you were doing all weekend? I know. I, a- know. I know. The last couple of years I've been taking this psychology course. Uh, so like one weekend a month, it's just like nonstop, uh, studying. It's like three days, uh, of being in a room, uh, and, and doing some heavy stuff. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. And I, but I did get a chance to watch some of the NCAA wrestling, uh, really interesting. Saw a couple, uh, of the March Madness games, um, pretty wild and saw, saw a pretty wild oh, upset, man. which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But, uh, yeah, man, I haven't been able to watch too much TV and I got a baby too. I got a baby line. That's right. You're mixing in the baby. Yeah. You own a jujitsu school. I know. Which is another commitment in and of itself. The NCAA tournament was crazy. Yeah. And I know a lot of our audience maybe isn't locked into every step of that. But those first four days of the NCAA men's basketball tournament, as compelling as they've ever been for me. And, of course, you've got one region, all four of the top seeds out. That has never happened uh, in NCAA tournament yeah. history. So, And, of course, it was uh, – I mean, I, I probably placed – over five dozen bets since we last did this podcast <laughs> 60 70 bets how'd it uh, go different things how'd it go is the question it was good yeah, it was profitable nice. you know um good. it should have been more profitable because i actually did bet on on maryland baltimore county at no 21 way. to one just 10 bucks i sent wow. you the ticket this morning yeah, just to that's prove amazing it, but, uh 10 bucks to pay 210 so certainly not some massive wager i wish i had that's had the wild, stones though. to put 50 bucks on it but sure. uh no, I just I didn't love that UVA team as a number one seed and and yeah. a little scratch on on Maryland Baltimore County never hurt anyone. I mean wow. ten beans can flow, you know, That's just awesome. kind of throwing money away and uh, it ended up working out. But so so with the NCAA wrestling and it's hard that these two events happen simultaneously. Right. Pat Militich had a great quote over the weekend. He said, "Wrestling are what the men do in winter during boys basketball season," uh, but. <laughs> You know, Dominic Cruz said when I first started calling fights, the most valuable thing I could do would be to watch high-level collegiate wrestling. So mm. of what you saw, I mean, I saw some highlights. I didn't see nearly what I should have, I guess, but but pretty entertaining stuff. I mean, some of these scrambles obviously are absurd. And, yeah. and this is a proving ground, I would think, for a lot of aspiring martial artists, which would have some interest, I would think, to listeners of this show. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, 
folk style wrestling is it's exciting to watch. Um, and a lot of these kids have been working very hard. Some of these guys for four years. Um, and there's even some like Kyle Snyder, who is a world and Olympic uh, champion, um, fighting up a weight class, giving up like 40 pounds uh, wrestling at heavyweight um, against a monster from Michigan, ended up pulling off the win. Um, you know, not the most exciting match at heavyweight, but uh, the guy's undersized by like 40 pounds or so. Um, this guy actually cuts down to make the weight class of his, his opponent from uh, Michigan and still got it done. Kyle Snyder will go down as one of the greatest wrestlers, wrestlers of all time. Um, since the first time I saw this kid do an interview after he won his first NCAA championship, he, he spoke like he was like, you know, like a 35-year-old veteran. This guy is yeah. extremely mature, um, tremendous athlete. Uh, very technical, uh, dedicated to his craft, um, and he will go down as one of the greats, no doubt about it. Uh, Bo Nickel, uh, standout from Penn State. Um, this kid, I think he was on like a 34-35 match win streak. Uh, Penn State, That'll again, work. became the national champions uh, as a team, uh, and, and Bo Nickel got, got the win by pin. This kid has just been uh, a dynamo uh, for Penn State. Is it over now? Is it done? It is over. It is over and wow. done with. I was a little disappointed with the commentary because, you know, like I don't think they let the wrestlers talk enough, you know, and it, it just seemed like uh, it was all about strength and athleticism. Look at how strong. Look at his upper body. Look at how strong. Yeah. It's like, guys, it's yeah. very technical. Yeah. Talk about the wrestling aspects. You yeah. know, educate guys on the wrestling aspects, and they didn't really do a whole lot of uh, that. And I don't think they let the wrestler talk too much but uh, other than that the, the matches overall were very good and uh, it, it was fun to watch can flow perpetually disappointed with combat sports <laughs> commentary what are you gonna do what are you gonna do uh yeah. but i normally get a few free plays from our buddy danny rube so mm. i'm disappointed that i didn't have any ncaa you can bet on you can bet on year. it huh oh yeah that's awesome wow absolutely wow. i think i went 0 for 5 in 2017 uh <laughs> Better yeah. this year, obviously, because we didn't play. All right, so a lot to get to today. So big show in London, as usual. I get kind of jealous of these fight crowds in London when I hear them on TV. I sometimes wish we could bottle them and have them when we go to places like San Antonio, Texas, yeah. and Charlotte, North Carolina, but but I digress. Big showing for Alexander Volkov. We'll talk to Dan Hardy later about everything that was the UFC London event. Uh, also, the UFC's first trip to Liverpool, Kenny, and maybe I should bring it up with you here as a longtime Liverpool FC fan and someone yes. who knows the area and how this live event is going to be embraced. I'm not working the show. And you know, Kenny, like we do a lot of these international shows. I, for the first time in my life, I'm tempted to text Zach Candido and said, get me on that, get me on that Liverpool show, man. Yeah, this is going to be must see TV. And I would think a very special ticket for, uh, for a lot of people, not just from Liverpool, but beyond. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Um, the Liverpool fan base, uh, they are a passionate group, man. Uh, if you just look Woo. at their, the Liverpool FC fans, uh, they are rabid fans. Um, and, uh, you know, evidence of, of this weekend in, in London, um, the UK fans, they love fights. They love fights. Um, and uh, with Darren Till, of course, being from Liverpool, um, what an opportunity for him um, if he's able to stay healthy uh, and, and fight in his hometown, man. Uh, I mean, he already has kind of the makings of being um, the next big thing um, and, and, you know, having the opportunity to fight in his hometown. Uh, and if he's able to get the win and do it in dramatic fashion, man, uh, sky's the limit for this guy. And I don't think it matters so much who the opponent is going to be, and we're right. going to get into this with Dan Hardy shortly. We'll also talk to Luke Thomas today about Nick Newell and some other things UFC-related, UFC 223. Khabib Nurmagomedov, Tony Ferguson. i got to get in the habit of saying Tony's name first. Uh, and Ray Longo with some things on John Jones. So a lot to get to today. But, Kenny, let's start with Alexander Volkov. And I know it's been a busy weekend for you. I'm not sure if you were able to see all four rounds of this mm -hmm. fight. But there's a new heavyweight contender, and I'm sort of waking up excited about the UFC heavyweight division for the first time in a long time. And sometimes I think it takes a changing of the guard to feel that way. Mm. Chuck Mendenhall's article this morning on MMAfighting.com didn't hurt either. But I think when you look at this win in the context of the heavyweight division, it is something to get excited about. And, and say what you want about Verdum and defeat here, but this is a huge signature win, one that Volkov dearly needed. He's 4-0 in the UFC. And, and I got to think here on the short list now as to who might be next for, for Stipe, DC, or whoever is the champion come July. Well, it was interesting because Volkov, I know, said he's been watching Verdum for a long time. They have actually trained together before. So I thought that was a huge advantage for him. 
um, you know, just knowing what you're heading into, what kind of uh, fighter you're dealing with, um, helps you uh, as far as execution on fight night of what you need to watch out for. And I think that was a huge advantage going into that for the much uh, less experienced and younger Volkov. Um, I also talked prior to this fight that I was a little nervous about this schedule that Verdum was keeping. Um, he was fighting a lot, and he was doing it at 40 years old, training camp after training camp. Uh, it's difficult on your body. It's tough to keep that passion level up as well when you've been competing uh, as long in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and mixed martial arts as, as Verdum has. So I was a little concerned for him uh, heading into that fight, not to mention Volkov is a dangerous guy. I think more than anything else, he fought a smart fight. He fought very patient when he was on the mat. He didn't try to get crazy. He knew how dangerous Verdum is uh, or was on the mat, um, able to land a nice shot there on, on, on the ground. Uh, finally, when they got up in the fourth round, it was three right hands from Volkov, two crosses and one uppercut uh, that, you know, just the accumulation of blows, Verdum just did not have an answer to it, wasn't able to respond, uh, got knocked down to the canvas, and Volkov, of course, uh, finished him off. So I want to read you a quote as a jiu-jitsu guy from Alexander Volkov. Jiu-jitsu has a really long and rich history in MMA, but compared to the past, jiu-jitsu is not as important as it used to be. Less and less people are only good at jiu-jitsu. Uh, less and less people who are only good at jiu-jitsu become UFC champions. I think it's very difficult to submit guys who wrestle and also train in jiu-jitsu. I won't trade submissions with him, he said of Verdum. I'm going to strike with him and try to knock him out, but I think it would be very difficult for him to submit me. Hmm. And I felt like Volkov, Kenny, approached this fight with that mentality. He just didn't seem to fear the submission, you know, maybe made a mistake or two here or there, but was yeah. able to sort of poker face those and was patient enough to, even though he gave up the first two rounds, at least stay in the fight, find a window, start to damage Verdum and eventually get him out of there in the realm that he felt the strongest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously Verdum has a tremendous credentials, um, you know, very well, very well accomplished, but you know, you can take away a lot of the submission game and the effectiveness of someone on the ground through position. And if you study the position um, and you're somewhat conservative in how you move and you slow things down, um, you can avoid a lot of those submissions. And I think for a lot of guys, sometimes they get too aggressive, they get overly aggressive, or they move in territory too quickly that they're not familiar with. Volkov knew what his role was. He knew where he had to stay, what he needed to stay away from. Um, and he was effective in his defense. You know, yes, he did make some mistakes. Um, and I thought Verdun was going to capitalize on it. Wasn't yeah. able to. Um, things are, it's a different story. Um, obviously, when you involve strikes and when you involve, you know, uh, you know, the whole thing about conditioning and being sweaty on the mat, I mean, it is, it is difficult. Um, and uh, for Volkov, this was a huge win, man. 29 years old, and, uh, you know, he could have the next title shot. And it's a short list of guys who have finished Fabricio Verdum yeah. in MMA competition. Verdum is, uh, Stipe is on that list, but Alexander Volkov is on that list. Verdum came in number three in the world. So maybe it'll be one more for Alexander Volkov, right. but he certainly puts himself in that mix. So as to who might be next for Volkov, Kenny, certainly I would think a win over the former champion Verdum and the nature of it would give him a case for the winner of Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic if the calendar were to align. Any other names in the mix for you? I mean, Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou seem to be on a collision course. We have talked at length about that fight. Mark Hunt is a guy who I think is out there right now. Maybe that fight has some legs. Hunt came in tied at number five in the world with Derek Lewis. Volkov at number seven. So that would yeah. be a step up, so to speak, I guess. But if Volkov is number three in the world, Overeem is two. He's matched up. I think it's, it's, it's going to be one of those guys. Who would you like to see next for Volkov, Ken? Um, I think if Overeem wins, I think that's a fight that makes sense. I, you know, I wouldn't want to see him fight really anyone else. I think he's kind of in a holding pattern here. Uh, for a guy on a four-fight win streak, 29 years old, uh, to have this opportunity after beating Fabricio Verdum, former champion, um, he kind of needs to hang out. Maybe if Cain Velasquez comes back, perhaps. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think if I were him, oh, yeah. I would kind of wait a little bit. But Cain is the one guy that I think... Um, he, he might it might be worth waiting for. Um, but who knows? Maybe, is Kane motivated to fight him? I don't know. Maybe Kane wants to come in and just get a title shot uh, right away. So it's that's it's interesting. Tough. 
Cain Velazquez is kind of the forgotten man, perhaps because because he, he hasn't competed in in some time. But right. I didn't even see him on the rankings when I took a look this morning. And some of those yeah. other fights we mentioned, of course, are on the books. Steep A in DC. You got Alistair Overeem taking on Curtis Blades, Andre Arlovsky yes. against Tai Tuivasa. So nonetheless, Volkov is in the mix, and he's getting a big name next, if not a title fight. But joining us now on the guest line. He is the host of the Luke Thomas Show, Sirius XM Rush Channel 93. Afternoon drive, by the way, Monday through Friday now for the Luke Thomas Show, and deservedly so. Uh, also, you can find his work at MMAfighting.com. The great Luke Thomas is with us. Luke, how's your Monday, man? What's going on? It's another day in paradise, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, it's good to see you as always, man. I know you got a home studio coming together. What's the hardest part about putting a radio TV studio together at home? Step by step, I guess. Uh, number one, financing it. Not that you have to have the nicest things in the world, but there are some things that <laughs> do cost money um, more than other things. And then the second part is finding an appropriate space. Are the ceilings high enough? How are you going to soundproof it? How are you going to decorate it? Uh, what about if your dogs bark when the doorbell rings? There's a lot of different <laughs> right. things you have to sort of take into account. But I have to say, uh, you can't quite see it yet. I have made substantial progress. Probably about another few months to go before it's ready, ready. But it has been um, a labor of love, and I'm really excited. And when you're 6'5", for whatever you are, you need those high ceilings. But you got a nice haircut today. You're looking good. So I know it's been a while since we have spoken, at least on this show, and I mentioned that you're five days a week on the radio now, and I have a lo lot of respect for your craft and the way you do it. I think you're one of the best radio guys in the country in any sport. But going to five days a week, you know, I've been there, and, and that's a very different challenge in terms of the preparation. How do you navigate that, not to let the preparation sort of take over your life, but understanding that, you know, you got 15 hours on the radio every week? Yeah, and then on top of that, three podcasts with MMA fighting and then also stuff yeah. on my YouTube channel. I Man. mean, I'm definitely, uh, to be to be quite candid, I'm totally overexposed. Now, the only good news is that I have oh. some people who only know my Sirius XM stuff and then some people who only know my MMA fighting stuff. So there's enough of a firewall between them where I don't have to worry about it too much. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a dramatic issue. Like last week, for example, we were able to do some really good coverage of UFC London on that Thursday and particularly in that Friday. But that's a three other days, you know, what was it? Let's see, a three, six, nine hours we had to cover more than that 10 or 11 really where we had to talk about everything else that we could come up with and really one of the things yeah. that i would say is whether you're on radio or you're not on radio and you guys know this too so much mma news now and i think this is regrettable to be quite honest but i don't know what the answer is in terms of not covering it is just recitation of what happened on social media whether it's colby covington or Derek yeah. lewis and francis and ganu whatever the case may be and so sometimes I'm out there huffing on fumes, but I'm really excited about getting past UFC London. There was a lot of good things that came out of that. And then, of course, on April 7th, it's all I can think about anymore. So eventually this, this ship will ride itself. But I've been looking for a port in the storm the last, last couple of days. <laughs> well, we will certainly get to April 7th. And Khabib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson, we could go in a lot of different directions with you. But I want to at least spend a couple minutes on Nick Newell. We talked about him on the show last week, 31 years old, lightweight. He's a congenital amputee. Um, you have watched the film. I think your opinion as to whether or not he deserves to be in the UFC is as educated as any. I mean, do you even fall firmly on one side of this or the other right now? Because I think Kenny and I are, are split, if not torn, at this point. It depends on what the side is. So a lot of people are making the argument, and I think this is frankly mistaken. It's not to say that it's wrong. It's just to say that there's a lot of uncertainty about it that they'll make the case that, well, he belongs in the UFC and therefore he'll do well. Those are actually two separate issues. There's one issue about whether or not there's meritocratically any kind of reason that this person should be in the UFC, and we can have that debate. There's a separate question of like, what kind of future does he have there? I'm of the belief that so long as he is fighting on the LFAs of the world, I don't think he'll win forever, but there's just not a lot of evidence that he's going to get a pretty stern challenge down there unless he gets some other kind of blue chip prospect who was also on their way to the top. They're, these guys just don't have a whole lot for him. Remember, his only loss, of course, is to Justin Gaethje, a top five or top six, I guess, uh, lightweight in the world. The question is, how would he do against the top of the, the food chain or the top 10 or 15 or even 20 or 25? And that answer we really don't know, but I don't think that's also the most important question. The only one we can ask is, look, has this guy done enough at the regional level to graduate out of it? And I think that one is definitely unequivocal, yes. But is it also very true that he could go and have three-fight contract and get smashed three fights in a row? I absolutely cannot rule that out. I don't know how he's going to do. I just know that the level he's on now seems deeply inadequate for him. 
Well, don't you think that that's kind of the case for anybody? I mean, we re- we never really know how anyone's going to pan out. Do, don't we just give them that chance and and see what happens? I, I think so, Kenny. I, th- I mean, I really. I just don't buy these arguments that like, oh, watching somebody who is considered uh, disabled uh, would be some sort of horror. This this feels very Smallville, Pleasantville, 1940s <laughs> black and white thinking about yeah. the world where it's just oh, totally anachronistic. Look, anytime someone takes a beating, it's never necessarily a good look. But this yeah. idea that it would be uniquely upsetting, maybe to people that have these ancient biases or something. But I, I really just don't think it's a very powerful argument. I think you're right. Look. Do you did you do enough to merit a step up in competition? That is the only relevant question here, and I just don't know what else he can really do except beating all these guys he's already been beating for another three, four, five, six fights. All right, you're the UFC. What would you do? Uh, I, so I think there's two arguments that have been, or two paths rather, I should say, that have been laid out. And yeah. one is put them on the contender series. If they're really that hard up for it, and they're really huh. that concerned about it, do that there. Okay, I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it. I think it's a little demeaning, but. I can't argue strenuously against it. The other one is put them on a Fight Pass card, put them on a, a Fox Sports prelim card. You wouldn't put them on the main card and give them somebody inside that top 25 and see how it goes. Here's the interesting interesting thing about it. Now, he's been retired for a while, but prior to him being retired, you want to talk about some of the guys that generated the most media outside of combat sports media while being inside combat sports, but outside of the UFC. In other words, like all the guys who aren't in the UFC, which fighter generates the most attention? Nick Newell, before he retired, was that guy. I absolutely believe if he got on any kind of a win streak, there'd be all kinds of media on him. But if you want to slow roll him at first to see how he does, a la Mackenzie Dern or something, uh, then you can do that. And by the way, is there really any evidence to suggest that Mackenzie Dern is a better MMA fighter at this stage than Nick Newell. Well, it's not apples to orange or apples to apples, right? It's a it's a different division. Um, she obviously has a tremendous background in jujitsu. But you guys saw her takedowns. They need work. You saw her striking. It right. needs work. Yes, there are some limitations to the game of Nick Newell. But if you're asking me which one is more UFC ready as we speak today, I would vigorously argue it's Nick Newell. And certainly he's going to have a hard time getting opponents or maybe on the UFC level, not unlike a CM Punk, is there some novelty appeal to some of these lightweights looking for a big fight? I don't know. I mean, do they have any internal conversations about how he can face crank? I mean, I'm not saying it's a competitive advantage for him, Luke, but is that even a part of the matchmakers discussion as to what, you know, that limb does or doesn't do for him in an octagon setting? Yeah, and again, this is the problem without giving him a chance at this level. There's just a lot of uncertainty. So if you go back and you look at the tape, you can see, of course, he has the congenital amputation on his left side. There's been a question about, well, is he vulnerable to those strikes on that side? And again, outside of Justin Gaethje, there's no evidence of that. Even in the Justin Gaethje fight, he was softening him up with body shots. He was softening him up with leg kicks. And then eventually the right hand found a home. We actually don't really know. Now, you mentioned something kind of interesting. Well, it's not really an advantage. Yes and no, right? Here's my point. Remember Anthony Robles, the wrestler out of Arizona State, was a national champion in 2011 and a three-time All-American. He did not have very much success in freestyle, so he went on to do uh, great things in folk style and collegiate. And then, of course, now as a motivational speaker, he's a commentator. He was doing it for the wrestling championships over the weekend. Here's my point. People, no one in their right mind could argue that not having a leg is an advantage. It's absurd. However, it's, it's a net disadvantage. But are there certain circumstances where it could be an advantage. I am open to the argument that potentially in certain scenarios, you mentioned the face crank, that it could be. It's an overall disadvantage, but it's a net disadvantage because there are some different aspects where it's not. Point being, it makes the fight more interesting. It makes this whole conversation a lot more different than you can have about any other fighter. 30 to 40% of fighters hold their hands down by their waist anyway, Luke, so it's like, you know. Same well, hold on. I made this point on my last podcast. I'm not picking on the guy because I, he is, could not be a nicer guy, and he's got a great fight coming up with Sam Alvey. But I talked about uh, John Vellante. If you look at the guys in the top right. ten who have the the strikes absorbed per minute, uh, it's like at right around one or so or less than that. John Vellante is at over five. Wow. Over five. You mean to tell me he will yeah. take less shots than Nick Newell? <laughs> Maybe, but that's hardly a given. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and as we said last week, the only place for Nick Newell to scratch this itch is the UFC. And and I hope he gets the opportunity. All right. But in 19 days and Luke Thomas, by the way, with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast, 19 days, they will. And I'm not saying hopefully they will. They will close the octagon door. And inside that cage will be Tony Ferguson and Khabib Nurmagomedov. 
I, you know, it's we don't we can't even talk about this fight without smiling ear to ear. I mean, do you share this just overwhelming anticipation and enthusiasm for for this championship fight? I, I cannot tell you how excited I am for this. In fact, I'm working on a video about it. But here's my basic belief, not to give too much away. I'm not saying this is going to be the best fight ever because I don't know that. And I'm not saying that this is going to turn out – that this is going to be the biggest selling event because it probably won't be. But I think if you know anything about MMA and all of us at this table know some, Kenny, a little bit more than the rest of us. But we, we are all competent speakers here about this. This is basically as good as MMA gets, more or less. You can get bigger fights. You can get bigger pomp and circumstance. You can get better rivalries in certain capacities where it can be a little bit more personal. There's always something that's missing in any fight. But basically, this is the very best division. These are two guys who are destined. They have to fight each other, not because I'm declaring it so, but because life has just keep making them get into each other's orbit. The fourth time they're going to make it, the stakes could not be bigger. Obviously, Conor McGregor, lightweight title. You have his incredible talent in uh, Nurmagomedov, 25-0, and 0, basically unheard of. The guy chews nails. is from this incredible part of the world. And then you have Tony Ferguson, this other guy. He might also chew nails, but for different reasons because he's his on his own planet. But that's the whole thing. You've got this guy who's got this orthodox skill set that's totally doesn't make sense for modern MMA if you really think about it. And then you got another one who's like the best of modern MMA in some, some respects as well. And as I yeah. mentioned before, it's in the best division. I mean, this is truly like I always tell folks, what's the fight where I wait around to recommend to – uh, you know, casual audiences. When I want to go to ask, tell my friends in sports media, hey, man, this is the one you should watch. This is at the top of the list, even more so than a Conor McGregor fight, because I know they'll catch that anyway. This, to me, is basically MMA at its highest and most important level, and I have not nearly... Uh, uh, I could go on for an hour uh, in terms of all the superlatives yeah. I want to heap on it. And hopefully half a million homes buy it, because it's all about people seeing this fight. All right, a few rapid-fire questions here on the way out with Luke Thomas. We know you're a D.C. sports guy. Uh, the Wizards, you know, kind of up and down this year. A little momentum right now. They're the number four seed at present. Do they win a playoff series come May and June? No. No, I don't think uh, uh, Sadoransky has been a bit of a revelation. I think his game actually fits Bradley Beal better. But John Wall is an overall better player. He's still out. Um, that knee injury, I just don't trust it because he came back and he didn't look himself. He's been out all this time. I, I, I think they're a good team, but they're an incomplete team and they're a hobble team. No. Yeah, maybe one big piece away. All right, so Kirk Cousins now out. Alex Smith in as the quarterback. But the question is, Redskins, 13th overall pick. Coming up in next month's NFL draft. If you have that pick, are you going defense or are you going with the wide receiver, maybe going offense? Ooh, well, that's interesting. That's going to be a tough one. Hmm. I hadn't thought about too much of that. Uh, I would say probably I'm going to go, and the defense needs some help, but I, that's, yeah, no, I would go defense. They can find Defense, some wideouts so probably on free agency. They they never really recovered after the loss of Pierre Garçon in that slot position. Um, but on the defensive side, yes, at the end there you had Ryan Kerrigan and uh, doing all the things that he's been doing. But they got a lot of really incomplete pieces, pieces there. I, I frankly think at the safety position they've never recovered since the death of Sean Taylor. So, yeah, let's go defense. Mm, yeah. All right, and last thing, you got this new T-shirt company now, as if you needed another avenue. Uh, this is pretty exciting. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, about the T-shirt company and, and when it ultimately will be off the ground? Well, I mean, I don't even have a name for this thing yet, so it's very much ham-fisted. Let me put that up there up front. But basically <laughs> the idea is that uh, I, I met this guy who did some work for me, and I we were just sort of going back and forth. And I, I just don't feel like there's really great designs out there right now. Uh, and I looked at some of the stuff he was doing, and it's whimsical, it's it's tongue-in-cheek, it's, it's interesting, it's different. I don't know how people are going to be receptive to it, but you mentioned if I didn't need it. Well, I think I actually do need it. I think establishing some kind of, not independent source of revenue by itself, but some kind of connection to an yeah. audience. Everyone in my line of work is setting up a Patreon account, and I have nothing against that. I might down the road do the same thing, but I'm trying to create a different right. value proposition with the audience. I want to do something a little bit different, and I don't know how it's going to be received. It could be a dramatic failure, but what do I have to lose? Um, nothing. So might as well try right. it. It'll be out on Wednesday. Nice. I love it, man. No, and as, as another cornerstone to the brand. So we wish you all the best with that on Twitter. You can find him at L Thomas News. Also, senior editor, MMAfighting.com. You can check out the Luke Thomas Show weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern, Sirius XM Channel 93. Uh, thank you, buddy, for the time, man. Always good to hear you and hope it's not several months before we catch up again. Anytime you guys need me, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
See you, Luke. There he is, Luke Thomas, going five days a week strong on Sirius XM. I used to host Afternoon Drive in Boston. There's nothing easy about it. And, and yeah. when you're not leaning on the phone calls, generating content uh, for 15 hours a week, nothing easy about it uh, unless you're during Boston Red Sox season and you just talk about the Red Sox for three hours every yeah. day. Well, this episode of the Anakin Florian podcast is brought to you in part by 4hims.com. Ken Flo, you may not want to hear this man, but 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. It, you know, it's crazy that I have a um, a reunion coming uh, coming up next year for, for high school. And I looked at, you know, I got invited to this, like, Facebook page or whatever. And I see all my friends that I grew up with, all my high school friends. Uh, They're all bald, dude. I can't even recognize them. It's crazy. I'm lucky that I still got, like, I still got a lot of hair on my head so far. But um, that that is a big fear, man. It's coming, no doubt yeah. about it. You could just go shaved head look by like <laughs> I do, but we do have good news. There are options if you want to do something about it. And I'm not talking about some of those weird solutions guys turn to. I was actually in Miami. This is a true story a couple of weeks ago. And this dude was in my hotel room. It was late at night. He was laying down on one of the pillows, mm. and he got up, and there was black stuff like all over the pillow, right, from mm. whatever hair replacement product he was using like a spray. I kicked the dude out of my room, literally <laughs> kicked the dude out of my room. I was like, dude, really? You got the black stuff all over the bed, all over the pillows? So that guy's gone. Forget that nonsense. The solution, I'm telling you, 4 a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. 4 combats baldness the right way. It's backed by science and connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. No waiting rooms or shady doctor visits down a back alley. Ken Flo, a lot of those shady back alley doctor visits in the streets of, of Dover and <laughs> Sherburn, Massachusetts? Probably not, but yeah. go to 4 Take action today. It's that easy. The products will be brought directly to your door. Order now. Our listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today. Right now, while supplies last, see website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. So go to 4 slash Florian. That's F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash Florian. 4 slash Florian. All right, so back to the UFC London stuff, and we talked about Alexander Volkov. Could be in a little bit of a holding pattern, but a huge win for him against Fabricio Verdum. Yeah. And Verdum, I think, even though maybe he's coming up on 39 or 40 years old, or maybe even cross 40 at this point, I'm not sure, but he's a guy who's still going to fight for a few more years, and, and every fight Verdum's going to be involved in is going to be a big one. So we'll see yeah. uh, where he goes from here. As for the co-feature here, Kenny, it's kind of funny because the backdrop to this was the rematch that nobody is calling for, and it ended up being the fight of the night and just had a lot of meat on the bone. Jan Blahovich this time gets the rematch on the road from Jimmy Manoa, and a big win for him certainly in terms of the pecking order in this light heavyweight division. Perhaps Jimmy Manoa in terms of that title shot likely not going to happen now, but big win for Blahovich here, Kenny. And, and again, I think when this guy is on, this guy's a problem for the Alir Latifis and, yeah. and the guys in that top 10. Oh man. He, he's like that disease that just won't go away. It's, it's ah. crazy. He, you, you can, you can hurt him, but he's going to be right there in your face fighting every single last second. And, um, I mean, when did they fight for the first time? Like a, a couple years, three years ago, maybe. 2015, and it was in Poland. Yeah, yeah and Manawa, it seemed like he kind of cruised uh, to a victory there. Not the case. Not the case over the weekend. Uh, Blahovic, um, I, I thought, just um, showed that same Polish grit that he always shows. Um, I think the big difference for him were the takedowns, mixing things up. Uh, once he was able to get around the legs or get to that clinch aspect, Manawa just was not prepared, it seemed, uh, for that. Uh, ended up catching Manawa, knocked him down. Um, with a nice shot, actually slipped a nice angle uh, and, and dropped Manawa. I think that threw Manawa off for a, the majority of the fight. Um, he just—it yeah. seemed like he just couldn't get any like real momentum going. Actually, you know, it had some good moments, but it just seemed like it was Blahovich who was really, uh, you know, in, in the driver's seat. So Jan Blahovich wins the co-main event, 30 to 27, and then 29, 28 times two. He had the late takedown in that third round that I think yeah. really sealed the deal. But this was his fight, and and arguably I think is the biggest win of his career. I know you didn't see the fight between Tom Duke and Watt and Terry on Ware. And before we talk about 223 and bring on Dan Hardy, I just want to bring this up in the context of the scoring because 
there are a lot of people who believe Terion Ware did enough to win this fight. Uh, volume takedowns secured a lot of them, didn't do a ton with them necessarily, but controlled the cage, threw more volume, even though he didn't do as much damage. And I know it's very sensitive when you talk to fans about this type of stuff. And for Terion Ware, he's lost three in the UFC, all against pretty high-level competition, Duquesne Wah, Cody Stamen, Sean O'Malley. I guess I just feel like when I'm watching clean, powerful shots land from Duquesne Wah, even though he's the guy who's retreating and not as consistent with his offense, I feel like by and large over 15 minutes, he's doing more damage that that guy should win the fight. Uh, it's not that I'm all aboard the Duquesne Wah train right now. Right. Um, but I just thought he did enough to, to win the fight. Where do you stand on that stuff when it comes to octagon control and the advancing party you know, getting the nod in rounds that could go either way. Well, here's the thing. I think you pretty much summed it up. I think it does come down to damage. We have to remind ourselves. It's a fight. Did you beat the other guy up more than he beat you up, right? I mean, that's kind of what yeah. it is at the end of the day. How much damage did you do to the other person? Right. So uh, I think that's what it comes down to. You know, if I go and advance on someone, but I'm getting my ass kicked or I'm getting uh, beat up more than he is, it doesn't matter if I'm moving forward. Right. I mean, it, it right. does come down right. to damage. You know, if you look at it and in, in, in some kind of another kind of combat scenario, I have 10 men, you have 10 men. Right. At the end of that battle, you're left with three and I have six. I should win. I mean, it comes down to damage. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and we will talk to Dan Hardy about this because I think his call sort of spoke to maybe a Terry on where win. I don't even know what his scorecard was. We don't require that of our commentators to give their scorecards on the air. But I just think it's interesting. And in the context of what this fight does for both guys, I'm a little bit tempered in my enthusiasm on uh, on Tom Duquesne. Terry and Ware said publicly he is going to get another fight in the UFC, and I would hope that he would – you know, do a little bit more with it than he did with this one. Not to say yeah. that he didn't do enough in the eyes of some to win this fight, but I just feel like in that third round when you feel like maybe your UFC career lies in the balance, let's really go for it and take some risks and, you know, maybe walk back to the dressing room a little bit more beat up or concussed if need be. So I felt like Ware was a little bit risk-averse down the stretch, but uh, overall I thought it was a competitive fight and a big win for Tom Duquesne. All right, more with Dan Hardy coming up in about 10 minutes, but I want to segue now to UFC 223. We talked about Habib, Habib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson a lot last week. I want to quickly get your thoughts on this co-main event because these fights are going to be here before we know yeah. it. Joanna Ian Jacek trying to get her title back against Rose Namajunas. Right now she is favored to do so. She is minus 150. Rose Namajunas is coming back at plus 120. Now, the first fight, Kenny, didn't give us a ton of footage to digest. Yeah. Um, what are your expectations for what we're going to see in the rematch and how Joanna might try to combat what Rose did well and, and make the requisite adjustments here uh, in advance of this fight coming up April 7th? This is really interesting, right, because we have the stuff that happened outside of the octagon where uh, a lot of people believed and were talking about Joanna Young-Jacek and her terrible weight cut. It just it seemed like everything went wrong. Um, and if you're not proper, properly rehydrated, and if you did have a rough weight cut, obviously your body's not going to be so prepared on fight night. You know, uh, a shot that maybe wouldn't have dropped you on a good night might drop you now. Um, I'm not making that excuse for her, but um, there are some question marks around that performance. Here's the thing, though. When you look at some of Ioana's uh, performances in the past, it does take her a little while to warm up. She did when she did get dropped. She got dropped against Claudia Gadelli in her first fight with a right hand. Uh, got dropped. Got sat on her butt. Um, and sometimes you see even in some of her best performances, once she finds her rhythm, boy, you are in trouble. It's kind of like Anderson Silva when he was in his prime. Um, these are uh, strikers that kind of go off of rhythm. They go off, you know, analyzing uh, what their opponents are doing, and then once they get on to what they're doing. Then they pick you apart. You want a young Jake check is kind of uh, cut from that cloth. Now, for Rose, she just never gave her a chance. She went, she charged her, she went forward, she pressured her. Um, it was all big shots. She was looking for combinations um, uh, and, and obviously has that power. Um, so it's tough. And then you talk about the mental hurdle that Yuan is going to have to deal with here. 
you know, she just suffered the most mm-hmm. devastating loss of her career. It was embarrassing, especially given all the uh, trash talk she was she was saying right. during that fight, leading up to that fight. So what does that do to your mental state heading into this? If she can put and all that behind her, too. exactly, if she can put all that stuff behind her, I think we're going to have a tremendous fight. And uh, for Rose, I, I think, you know, again, she's going to feel like, you know, the underdog heading into this, have a little bit of a chip on yep. her shoulder uh, and not be yeah. respe- as respected as she should. I wonder if Yolanda Jacek would have liked a little bit more time before this rematch came around. I think her ideal scenario would have been to have Rose defend the belt successfully, ideally. Uh, but either way, Yolanda's next fight was going to be for the belt and the division must go on. So here it does on April 7th. I feel like for Rose Namajunas, you're exactly right. She, the chip is still there on her shoulder. I'm very curious to see her prove herself over 25 minutes in a championship scenario against Yolanda Jacek because I think she has the tools and the skills and the cardio and everything else to really prove herself and her greatness over 25 minutes. Sometimes you get a quick knockout and People have some appreciation for it and say, oh, Trevor Whitman's a mastermind, but they don't say, man, Rose Namajunas might go down as the greatest 115-pound fighter of all time. Nobody's saying that, right? So I'm excited to see this fight go a little bit longer. Not that I felt shortchanged necessarily by the quick result, but I expect a prime Rose Namajunas. And, Kenny, I feel like she entered this series feeling like she was going to have to beat Joanna twice right away, right? Like when you're taking on a long-reigning champion like Chris Weidman and Anderson Silva – Aren't you almost like when you I don't know with BJ Penn, he was a little bit later in his career, but almost going in there against BJ Penn, Kenny, thinking if I beat this guy, I'm probably gonna have to beat him twice to really, you know, continue my yeah. title. Reign. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, I actually had an opportunity to talk to Pat uh, and Rose when they were at Fox and um, they said, you know, we don't even act like we're the champion right now. We, we, you know, the belt, yeah. you know, we're almost scared of that belt. We put it in a closet. We don't even look at it. They said we, we lo- if we looked at it like once, you know, we kind of looked at Okay, yeah, we're, we're the champion. All right, all right, let's put it away. And, and they kind right, of right. just don't – they don't want to have that kind of championship uh, complacency uh, affect them at all. Not that it would, but they don't want it there. You know, they don't want to kind of get too comfortable knowing that they are world champs. You know, that Rose is a, is, is a world champ. So uh, for her, I, I think she probably is feeling like she has to go out there and win that belt again. And I think the solution in terms of, of the weight cutting for Joanna will just be to come in a little bit lighter and get ahead of it. I think you have a lot of athletes who leave a lot of things up to circumstances going right very well during fight week. Kenny, I know you had, I know you laugh and I know you had some cuts that were harder than others, but correct me if I'm wrong. A lot of the higher level fighters who are getting plagued by this, it's not that they've ever had problems before necessarily, but their system is such that they leave a lot of LBs for those final few days. And when they don't come off that easily, panic sets in and it becomes even harder to cut the weight. There's no doubt about it, John. And, you know, the the reality is in this game, there's so much that could go wrong. There's so many things that as a professional fighter, you have to be aware of. You have to have a tremendous team around you, whether it's your nutritionist, you know, your chef, uh, your striking coach, your wrestling coach, your jiu-jitsu coach, your strength conditioning. Everything needs to be perfect or close to perfect. Um, so if you don't get one thing right at this game, because now the fighters are fighting at such a high level, uh, one thing, if it's off, it could be the difference between winning and losing. And that's just, you know, forget about, you know, fight night where you have, you know, judging and refereeing that could go wrong. I, I mean, the, the things even that are under your so-called control, uh, it's, it's just a very difficult thing, man. It's unlike any other sport in the world. It really is. I'm just so curious to see what type of pay-per-view numbers this event will do. And what the internal metrics even are, because when you look yeah. at this fight on paper, um, the ferguson Nurmagomedov fight, of course, we mentioned Nami Yunus, Ian Jacek. You've also got Calvin Cater, Hinato Moicano, Michael Chiesa, Anthony Pettis, and then Ally Quinta Paul Felder, the pay-per-view opener, right? <laughs> I just hope a lot of people see this, because those last two fights in particular, just such a great showcase for our sport. And Cater, the Boston guy, 10 wins in a row. He's favored yes. to beat Hinato Moicano. Michael Chiesa has been a forgotten man a little bit at 155 pounds. He's only fought twice since 2015. The last fight was the main event against Kevin Lee last June in Oklahoma City. So we'll see what he can do. Slight underdog against Anthony Pettis. 
Pettis. And, of course, Ally Iaquinta and Paul Felder. Kenny, a big fight at 155 pounds. Ally Iaquinta has been idle for a little bit, so we'll see how that goes. A lot of good stuff coming up at UFC 223. All right, now with us on the guest line, as promised, he was just on the call for UFC London on the weekend. I say on the weekend because I'm trying to fit in with uh, with the locals, man. What <laughs> fans over there. Uh, UFC commentator, former UFC title challenger, and for now a 10-time UFC veteran, Dan Hardy is with us. Appreciate your time tonight, man. How are you? Really good, really good. It's nice to, nice to be talking to you guys again. Well, always a pleasure, as you know, and, and I mentioned sort of the atmosphere off the top of the show. Us Americans are, are getting jealous of these European fight crowds, and I'd imagine for you, calling fights with that backdrop only enhances your own performance. Yeah, you know, I, I think you can hear it in my voice. I, I react for the fans. As soon as I hear the atmosphere in the arena, I, I, just, I just follow on. And when you see a, you know, a fighter get caught, a fighter go down, when you see a good exchange, when there's that that buzz in the arena, that I'm just I'm just a conduit for that. That just comes straight through me. And and London was amazing. London's always amazing, but Liverpool's going to be off the charts. <laughs> well, yeah, we might as well start there. And can you just put into context why that is going to be such an amazing event and why people are talking about that as being you know Dublin 2014 revisited for the UFC? Well, you, you guys know, traveling around the world, there are certain places that you go and, and culturally the, the city has just got a different feel to it. The, you know, I mean, Dublin's the, the best example. You go to Dublin and, and they unite for a party all night. And it's amazing to see, you know, win or, win or lose, all the fighters get the respect and get their love. And it, Liverpool's one of those kind of places. It's a very working class city. Um, the, whole, the whole industry was built around the dock. So it, it bred a very a very tough, a very hardy kind of person. And, you know, with the weather being so cold, with it being like right on the coast, they, they're, just, they're just tough people. They like a fight. They like a fist fight. And they like a good night out. And the last couple of times we've been up there for Cage Warriors, we've had uh, Paddy Pimlet on the card, Molly McCann, um, you know, Chris Fishgold, Lee Chadwick. There's a, there's a whole bunch of those Liverpoolian fighters that have already stirred this, this real positive atmosphere in, in the city around mixed martial arts. And, you know, Darren Till's their figurehead at the moment. So to be able right. to bring him to Liverpool, the fans are going to come out in force. It will be the first time the Echo Arena is sold out. Dan, I want to talk about the uh, main event from this weekend, Volkov against Verdum. Um, what did you think of Volkov's, Volkov's performance? And do you think it was a case of Verdum getting older now? Um, or was it, is Volkov actually that good? Um, Volkov is Volkov is misleadingly good. People don't realize he's got so much experience because he's fairly new to the UFC roster. You know, you've got to think that was his 30th win. He's got nearly 40 fights on his record. And he's been fighting around Russia, fighting some of the toughest guys that, that you know, Russia and Europe have to offer. Um, he's a very, very tough, very, very hardened, battle-hardened individual. But the thing that stands out to me about him is his discipline. It's his ability to choose what he's going to do in the fight and stick to that game plan. And what was fascinating about this is that obviously Verdum feels very much like he's just going to work his way back to the belt fighting whoever they put in front of him. He's not necessarily making this, the, the most strategic decisions and calling out the, the right individual to get him to that title shot. He's just trying to stay active and trying to fight. And I, I greatly respect that, but that does limit your amount of time to prepare for each individual opponent. Yeah. Um, and that may be because they've, they've faced each other before. I mean, they have been sparring partners before. So, oh, my little dog's just come to see us. Come on, then. <laughs> <laughs> there she is. Yes. Looks <laughs> she looks dangerous. She looks dangerous. Oh, yeah. She, <laughs> she's got a wicked sprawl as well when she's playing with the toy. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, man. Hey, listen, well, I want to talk about the other main event that's coming up at uh, UFC 223. Um, just a, a banger of, of a matchup, man. Uh, Tony Ferguson taking on Habib Nurmagomedov. How do you see that one going down? Um, I'm leaning at the moment towards Khabib. I just, I feel like, I mean, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's undefeated. Every time he stepped in there, it's worked. His game plan has never been, uh, never been, be never been beaten. And he really does the same thing every time. Yeah. The only time we've seen him slightly vulnerable was that first round against Michael Johnson, where he got caught for a second. And I think that if Tony Ferguson is going to win, it's going to be one of those kind of situations. It'll yeah. be, you know, that, that crazy switch step forward that he does when he's throwing his one, two, that catches people by surprise. It'll be a, a, a wild spinning elbow as he's defending a takedown, or it'll be something crazy off his back, something that Khabib's not necessarily prepared for because he doesn't have that 
very uh, free-flowing, creative 10th Planet style to, to work with. He's got a very disciplined, fundamentally sound approach to grappling, whereas obviously Tony Ferguson, he, he can pull things out of his back pocket that you've never seen before. So th there, there is a danger element there for Khabib, but the, the steamroller that is, that is Khabib is, is pretty hard to defeat for anybody, I think. Yeah. Dan Hardy with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And we all, of course, look forward to Inside the Octagon, as I'm sure you do for UFC 223. And just breaking down what most of us believe is the best fight that this promotion can put down on paper. I just find it interesting, Dan, and we're, we're spending a few minutes with you on this because it will probably be the last time we talk to you before the fight. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see which experts get behind Tony Ferguson and, and make a case for him to win this fight. Because on paper, I believe him to be the most accomplished UFC lightweight of all time with these 10 consecutive wins, the five-round win over Rafael Dos Anjos at altitude, no less. And I'm excited to hear people make the argument for Tony Ferguson because, candidly, most experts like yourself and Kenny that I trust, in a landslide, Dan, everybody's picking Khabib in this fight. It's understandable, though, you know, with with Khabib's style and, and physiologically as well, if you think about how these two guys match up. So Khabib wants to stay very close to you, wants to tie you up. He wants to smother you. He wants to one of my favorite phrases, and I've stolen it from Dan Carlin's hardcore histories. He wants to use the fence and the canvas as, a, as an anvil and hammer his opponent against it. And when you're as tall and as lanky and as long reaching as Tony Ferguson, space is your friend. You know, we always talk about a reach advantage. Uh, Stefan Struve's got the longest reach in the UFC, but that's not been an advantage when he's faced Roy Nelson and, and Mark Hunt, who have been considerably smaller. It's all about perspective. And, and Khabib can nullify that reach advantage by smashing him into that corner and, and giving him the Mark Kerr treatment. And if he does that, it's going to be very difficult for Tony Ferguson to do anything off of his back. It's, it's much more of a, a, um, um, a, a Frankie Edgar Yaya Rodriguez type of situation, but obviously on a much higher level when it comes to grappling. Yeah. One final note on the UFC London show, if I could go back for a second. The fight between Tom Duquesne and Terrion Ware. Not exactly sure how you felt about the decision based upon your call. I felt like maybe you felt like Ware didn't get enough credit for his offense and for controlling the octagon at times. But how do you sort of see a guy who does more damage versus a guy who is active throughout? I know you're not a judge. You're not asked to give your scorecard on the air. But did you have a hard time? coining a winner in that particular fight or no i'll be honest i was a little bit surprised i was surprised yeah. at the victory and i'll tell you why i was surprised because i didn't take my french translator with me <laughs> into the interview uh -huh. um i actually i i said i said on the headset as you, as you know we, you know we speak to the truck i said to the truck shall i take the translator with me and before i got an answer i was called to the to the octagon so i put the headset down and headed in and I, I just to be honest i'd scored it two to one for terry and where I yeah. thought Duke and Wall won the first round, but but only just, only just. And then I felt like he faded because he's he's got such movement in his in his in his style. It's very difficult to pin him down in the early, but but as the fight wears on, I mean, as I said that in in, in the in the commentary, as the fight wears on, Terry and Ware comes into his own, and his his consistent persistence throughout that second and third round for me yeah. won him the fight. That's a good way to put it, I think, his consistent persistence. I just felt like he was a little bit risk-averse down the stretch, but uh, just want to get your take on that. All right, before we let you go, so a lot of our listeners know this. So the last UFC fight for Dan Hardy, Ken Flo and I called it. It was your hometown, Nottingham, England, September 29, 2012. You beat Amir Sadala, your second consecutive win. And at some point thereafter, I won't divulge all the history, but you had a med medical issue um, diagnosed that prevented you from being cleared to fight, even though you felt okay to fight. So I would be remiss if I didn't at least bring this up. You're my friend. We have talked about this off the air. Uh, we see you training on Instagram and it's not just a few weeks. You've been working hard for months. Um, is that a means to an end? And how realistic is at least one more fight for the outlaw? The masses want to know. <laughs> Um, the, the most asked question after how did you get out of the armbar against GSP? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, um, th there is there is another fight for me. There has to be because I've been talking about it for too long. It, it's within me, and I was I was stopped halfway through a training camp, and for me that energy kind of gets caught up inside me, and I need to. And it's like an exorcism. I need to get it out. Um, what I would like to do, I mean, I, I've considered going down to fifty five. I'm walking around about 182 at the moment. I'm a lot closer to welterweight than I ever have been. I used to start training camp over 200 pounds. Wow. 
So I'm a lot smaller and a lot leaner than I than I ever ever have been. I mean, you can see that when I'm standing next to Darren Till on the broadcast and how how big that gorilla is. <laughs> right. Um, but but if you know if the matchup's right, the weight class really doesn't matter. What what I would like to do if I'm daydreaming, I would like to I would like to introduce a new 162 weight class to the UFC roster. Uh, I, I think that would be a, an excellent stopping point between lightweight and welterweight for the guys like Cowboy and Dos Anjos to you know to move through. Masvidal's another one. And then you've got a few welterweights that are slightly too big, the likes of Gunnar, uh, slightly, slightly too small, you know, the likes of Gunnar Nelson, Mike Perry, even, you know, Colby Covington could probably make 162. And I think we could have another weight class. I think it would, you know, we, we would make the most out of another champion. And I think it would be a really fascinating and really competitive weight class. And what I would like to do is, is have the first fight at 162. Um, I mean, you know, you, you pick an opponent. There's a whole bunch of guys that you could put in there, you know, good veterans that would give me a good scrap. But I think that would make the most sense because that would be that was always my dream weight class. I did 160 a couple of times before, and that was okay. I'm, I'm smaller than I, I was then, so I feel like I could I could make that weight class much more comfortably and perform much better. And when I was at 170, I was too big. I was too slow. My best yeah. performances were at Cage Warriors, so I would like to you know show people one last time what I'm actually capable of. Well, I really hope that you get that opportunity. And I'm on board with the weight class. I don't love 65, but I think you split the difference with lightweight and welterweight, 162, 163 pounds. I think it makes all the yeah. sense in the world. He is Dan Hardy, for my money, really one of the sharper minds in the game. And I know you have such an appetite for this stuff, and I really think it does translate on the broadcast. So keep up the good work, my friend. We'll let you get back to it. Thank you for, uh, for carving out a few minutes today. We'll see you later this year, I'm sure. No worries, guys. Always good talking to you. All right, there is Dan Hardy with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. And, Kenny, I, I don't know if you would say that you were able to leave fighting on your own terms. I know you had a back injury yeah. several months after the Jose Aldo fight that ultimately caused you to make that decision in December of 2011. But for Dan Hardy, he was in the middle of a training camp mm -hmm. for a fight. And this diagnosis came down, and it was some sort of heart issue, I believe. But it's nothing right. that he ever knew about, nor is it something that has ever given him anything resembling a problem and he just he can't get out of get it out of his head Kenny to to fight one more time right, right. he has the, all of that as you heard him say sort of bottled up inside what do you do right the only thing you can do is hope and pray that that you get cleared and you get at least that one final UFC fight to to get the closure that he so so sorely seems to need well, he absolutely deserves it. Um, he absolutely deserves it. Uh, he has a, a big following. He's been a, a lifelong martial artist. This is a guy who truly loves what he does. And uh, I can't imagine getting that news, first of all, uh, out of nowhere, you know, hearing that, you know, you have a, a potentially uh, life-threatening situation uh, on your hands when you've been, you know, a professional athlete for the last several years. So uh, it was quite a shock uh, to him, um, quite a shock to the mixed martial arts community. Uh, and it was unfortunate. So um, I don't know, you know, medically how well he's doing. It seemed like he's doing much, much better. He is training. I would love to see him fight again. Um, Dan's a guy I've always respected, uh, a veteran of the game, and uh, hopefully he gets that opportunity, man. And I think that makes sense, you know, having that be having that weight class between 155 and 170, whatever that sweet spot is, 162 sounds pretty good to me. Um, I don't know what division we would call it, maybe super lightweight or something like that, but right. uh, I, I think it does make a lot of sense. You can certainly uh, put some fighters uh, in that weight class right off the bat. Well, if you think we have maybe 200 combined at 55 and 70 and you take some so, of the elite yeah. guys and some other guys like Drew Dobers who would really enjoy that weight class, I yeah, you call it super lightweight. I think that makes a lot of sense. And cool to hear him talk about Liverpool, too, and just what yeah. this event is going to hold. I got I to gotta get off the podcast headset here and try to see if I can get my ass to Liverpool May 27. All right, give me a minute to tell you about Mattress Firm, if you would. Everyone knows how important stretching is before an event. Well, so does Mattress Firm, except it's your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's Neighborhood Mattress Store. It's a true home run, and you'll have a ball. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this, they're more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor, they have you literally and figuratively covered up like your favorite cornerback. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. They even offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee. So you know you paid the perfect price. Talk about a one-two punch, a knockout, if you will. 
So score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. Uh, all right, let's get to Ray Longo. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. There he is, Ray Longo. See, he's yeah, eating at this point. We're keeping you waiting. We're about seven <laughs> minutes late. We apologize for that. We had an international guest before you, so I don't blame you for starting snack time, my man. I'm sorry. No, I think first of all, Dan Hardy, what a one of the gentlemen of mixed martial arts. I had the opportunity of meeting him when he fought GSP. He used the gym to train for about a month or five weeks. We gave him the key to the place, and just a super cool dude, man. Oh, he, really, really nice guy. Great for the sport and. I wish him the best of luck. I came in on the tail end of the conversation, so I don't know what you were talking about, but I know it was uh, with Dan and just Sue. Super cool dude, man. So I know Kenny's going to give you a chance here to sound off on John Jones a little bit, but before we get there, I just want to get a thought from you on Ally Quinta and Paul Felder because we're sitting here less than three weeks out. First fight on pay-per-view in Brooklyn on April 7th. And Felder's my friend. He's my broadcast partner, but I don't, I don't say that he's the most powerful guy at 155 pounds because of that relationship. I legitimately think with all striking points, this guy brings as much heat at 155 pounds as anyone. You're preparing a guy to beat that guy. What's the biggest challenge for you in getting ready for Paul Felder here in a few weeks? Yeah, obviously. Paul Felder is awesome, man. He's a come-forward fighter. His tie boxing's good. He's tricky. A lot of good spinning attacks. And uh, I think he's one of those guys. He's just tough as nails. I think very similar to Al. Uh, you know, my, my challenge is keeping Al healthy. He's doing great. We had a great session. Um, I mean, Sunday we did two yesterday. He sparred in the morning. We hit at night. Uh, his knees feel good. He's, you know, his, he's back to his wrestling, which I haven't seen for a while. So I'm loving where he's at. And, again, the key with him is just to keep him healthy. And trust me, these last three weeks I'll probably be a, a nervous wreck. But, uh as of right now, he looks good. And again, I like to, you know, I like where he's at with everything. Well, that's going to be a hell of a fight, man. Uh, I, I think I think that can't, that can't be anything but a great yeah. fight. Uh, both their styles just make for, uh, yeah, must-watch TV. Uh, Ray, you know, um, I, I know you wanted to talk about uh, John Jones. He obviously had his hearing not too long ago. Uh, what did you think about it? Um, what would you think if John Jones was allowed to compete in the next year or so? I got to tell you, man, we, we're going to have to make a statement sooner or later because let me tell you something that happened last week, and I, I think I sent it to you, John. Uh, Marco Polo, Reyes testing for uh, positive for some sort of uh, USADA violation. And normally when you when I see this stuff, it's like, you know, I just, you know we're like criticizing just because that's what we do. You know what I mean? You have to make a statement on certain things. But this one really hit home, man, to me because – I saw it was Frivola's first loss, and he really took it hard, man. He really did, and he's a really nice kid. And to know that somebody was cheating and put him in that position, really, really, for the first time, I'm telling you, it hit home. I think because of just knowing the guy. Like, normally you're on the outside. I mean, I even feel bad for a guy like DC, man. He got kicked in the head. Uh, You know, the guy's emotional in the ring. It's just not fair. These fucking guys are cheaters, man. And for anybody to slap them on the back and give them a pat on the back for what they've done is fucking horseshit at this point. You know, for some reason, this thing even makes it worse to me because I watched what this kid went through. He took it hard. And, you know, look, he's got to grow through that anyway. And it's not to say that that even made a difference in the fight. But what we don't know is how would Frivola have been on steroids? You know, would that have made a difference? You know, could he have trained hard? He got better sleep eating better you know what i mean who knows that we don't know yeah but you know you want to put a guy like chris weidman on steroids give him an edge the guy's he's got freak strength as it is i wouldn't want to be nowhere near him jacked up on anything so you know these guys should really be ashamed of themselves i think they have to make a statement this this isn't you know this is something where somebody could get hurt and i think even you know i'm gonna i, I just even what happened uh, with Frivola, and it might not be a, as big of a deal, but I feel bad for D.C., man. He had a, you know, I, I just don't think it's fair at this point, and they have to do something, and I don't know if the, 
the culture yeah, is like I, I don't know if they're I, I, it just seems like nobody's got a conscience like you know you're a fucking cheater I mean I, how do you feel good about yourself after a win knowing that you were doing something like that you know and I, I maybe I'm naive I don't know and maybe in the future one of my guys something will happen but I guarantee I 100% will never know about it and I'll probably and I'd have to distance myself from him I just don't think it's right and somebody's going to get hurt and I don't know if that's what it takes, again, even with this type of shit, but I think they have to make a statement on John Jones. Look, if the guy had a, if he had a background and his, uh, you know, he didn't have the car accident, he didn't do this, he didn't do that, you know, and he had a clean slate, it may be something different, but how many times do we have to see this type of behavior before you really make a statement that, you know, you're done. This is what it cost you. You know, you hear those stories, you know, I, I know guys that have gone through the, uh, you know, the AA programs, and the stories are horrible. Who ruined their life? Who lost a relationship? Who lost everything they owned? I mean, it's going to take for some of these guys to hit rock bottom, I think, before they get help. But I don't know. I just think it's I, – I just hope none of the coaches or the teams, anybody's, you know, like, again uh, – making it easy for these guys to do it. I hope these guys, if they're doing it, they're doing it in secret. Nobody knows about it because I think it's fucking bullshit at this point. Well, as usual, Ray, you bring up a lot of compelling points. It's crazy to think how history is going to look back on this guy. I mean, it really is a movie. And, Ray, you and I, when we talk offline, a lot of our conversation is about the untold millions, and we kind of have fun with the fact that this guy might have left $100 million on the table. But history is not going to look kindly upon John Jones, I would think, even if he does come back and, and realize his greatness yet again. All right, I want to get you out of here on this. By the way, how's your podcast going? I think it's pretty good. We're having fun. Yeah. Uh, good. You know, I do it uh, Sunday night. So it's I work out. I train some people. Like last night I had Al. I had Rob. Everybody Ooh. here. I had uh, Jenny Nadell. We had a, I mean, it's Sunday night. I think I... I figured I tried to put it on one night where nothing was going on, yeah. and that didn't even work. I'm just running out of time with everything, but uh, yeah, we have a we have a good time. It's good. All right, I'll get you out of here on this. The most amount of money you have ever bet on a sporting event or a hand of blackjack in your life. <laughs> well, first off, I'm a I'm a cheapster when it comes to betting, but I'm gonna okay. say. I want to say a thousand bucks. Ooh, a, all right. A thousand, that's respectable. A that's respectable. I, I, yeah, yeah, that's pretty it, good. It, it was, and it was either probably betting on one of my own guys. But uh, no, no, I'm normally good for a hundred bucks. That, that's yeah. it. I don't like that. But uh, like, if somebody, like, if they see me betting five hundred dollars, they they they're like, that's got to be a lock, you know. And I rarely right. lose those, but they're far and few in between. But. Uh, I'm going to say no, definitely no more than 1500 but probably 1000 or 1500 <laughs> All right. That's good. We got we got a new segment churning now, like Longo's Lock of the Week or something. So maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll debut that next week. Hey, sorry for keeping no, yeah, you waiting, well, buddy. I know so you when, got... I go, when I go to the window in Vegas, I mean, I, I go incognito. Because <laughs> yeah. <I> yeah. <laughs> yeah, find a hat. All right. Hey, thank you for the time, my man. We'll talk to you next Monday. All right, guys. Take it Thanks, easy. Thanks, Ray. All right, All right, there he All is, right. Ray Longo. Thanks to him. Thank you to our other guests, Luke Thomas and Dan Hardy. Right back at it next week. We'll continue, of course, the UFC 223 discussion. Hoping to be joined by Khabib Nurmagomedov. We'll see if that all comes together. Thanks to everybody at Fox Sports for the flow. I'm John Anik. Until next week, have a good week. Yo, let The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.